The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You doing all right? All right. Very good. Very good. Happy spring forward day. Don't you hate this day? You lose sleep. (laughs) Uh, I feel like somebody owes us something every time we have to spring forward. Hey, uh, well, we're glad you're here. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Story City. We are in the middle of a series called The Storytelling God, and we are exposing the stories that Jesus told, and uh, we want to see some truths that he speaks about humanity, the world, and the future. And today we're in a passage in Luke chapter 14. If you happen to have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. If not, we're going to put it on the screens. And uh, for some reason, I uh, have drawn all the difficult passages in this series. And so, but I'm excited to, to teach today, and I think it's going to be a, uh, a good morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive right in. Jesus, thank you for today. God, thank you for your word. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so, God, as we expose the scriptures today, we just ask that you would speak deeply to us, God, to the depths of our soul about what it means to follow you in a deep, abiding relationship. And so, God, we commend this time to you the next few minutes together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen. Amen. Hey, do you get a lot of emails? You get a lot of emails? Anybody get a lot of emails? Yep. I don't know if you get a lot of spam email. I don't know what kind of emails you get. I get a lot of emails every single day, and most of them are spam. I've recently discovered an app. I don't know if it's an app or whatever, a website or something that can unroll me. That's what it's called, unroll.me, from all of the emails that I don't want. If you want to use that, go for it, but it's awesome. But I, I realize that I'm subscribed to all. I don't even know how I get subscribed to these things. Like People just subscribe me, and I get all of these junk emails. You know the email that I hate to receive, though? The email that I really cannot stand to receive is the terms and conditions email. Do you get these? Like we have updated our terms and conditions. I'm like, first of all, I don't read half the emails I get already. Secondly, I'm not reading the 14 pages of updates that I never read to begin with, right? Any of you guys ever read the terms and conditions? Are you, are you that person? Like, honestly, no, this is not a rhetorical question. How many of you guys actually read the terms and conditions? Anybody in here? You do? The engineer in the room right there. Anybody else? Okay, a few of you guys. All right. Okay, the engineer in the room. Okay. The rest of us are like, leave me alone. Okay. Like, I'm going to agree to this regardless of what it says because I know in the end, if I screw up, the court is going to find me justified, all right? Like, they're going to wipe it all out. Your terms and conditions mean nothing to me, all right? And I hate the terms and conditions email. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus lays out the terms and conditions for following him. And Jesus is at the end of his ministry here. He's beginning to make a shift in his teachings, and he's concerned with unrolling, if you will, what it means to walk in an abiding relationship with him. And I think this is very good. Jesus doesn't hide what he's, what he's trying to share. He doesn't hide what he's expecting of us. But he begins to describe in detail what it means to follow him and what's required. So what we have here in Luke chapter 14, it's about 10 verses. 
And Jesus is going to give us a few terms and conditions, and he's going to tell a few stories to talk about how to assess whether or not you are ready to follow Jesus. And he goes back to another term and condition, and then he makes a really difficult statement. He makes multiple difficult statements in this passage. So, so let's read this together. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. The title of the sermon today is Terms and Conditions. Starting in verse 25. Now, large crowds were going along with him. And he turned and he said to them, I'll just pause just for a moment. I think it's significant here that we see who Jesus is speaking to. Because up until this point, he has spoken to large crowds. He's spoken to his disciples. He's spoken to people who are interested in him. He's spoken to people who are not interested in him. Jesus had his haters. But in this passage here, in this environment and scenario, Jesus is speaking to the interested. He's also speaking to the invested. So his message what he's about to say is not just the people who are already invested in who he is and have already made a decision to follow him. He's speaking broadly here. He's speaking to those who are investigating whether or not they want to follow him. And I think this is very fair of Jesus, by the way. Like, like this is why you can be convinced that following Jesus is not a cult. Like, he's not going to ask you to drink poison later. He's not going to ask you to do something crazy later. Not a secret handshake. There's not things you're going to learn later. Jesus is fair, and he's up front, and now he's about to speak to everybody, and he says, if you desire to follow me, these are the terms and conditions. And this is what he says in verse 26. If anyone, by the way, these are difficult, these are difficult things to digest, so, so, so let's do this together. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me, and he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Like he's exhausted. Like he didn't leave anybody out. Like if he had more time, it'd be like in your, and your great ex aunt and everybody else. Like he's exhaustive here. If anyone does not hate his father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, and he makes a difficult statement, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus here, there's a, there's a swing in the unveiling of the gospel that Jesus is teaching here. This is kind of a hinge point in Jesus' ministry. Up until this point, Jesus has spent a significant amount of time talking to people who would listen to describe what it means to enter into a relationship with him. Most of his time has been spent doing that. The gospel begins to hinge here. His teaching begins to hinge. And now he's going to focus the majority of the rest of his ministry and the rest of his teaching on unveiling what it really means after you've committed to be in a relationship with me, what it means to be in relationship, what it means to follow me, what it means to move beyond the moment of initiating a relationship with me. It's a hinge point in the gospel here. And so as Jesus is teaching, he's beginning to separate the interested who are just speculating and, and trying to discover. He's beginning to separate the interested from those who are already invested. Now, Jesus uses a word here that makes this, these, this one verse difficult to, to kind of digest, okay? Jesus says, if anyone does not what? What's the word he uses? Hate, and then he goes on to name a bunch of different people. That's a difficult... Uh, to, to, to digest here. And so naturally when we think of love or hate, because Jesus says the exact same phrase, but he uses love in Matthew chapter 10. When we think of love and hate, we think of a choice. Like, like I choose this one over this one. That's what we think of when we think of terms of loving and hating. 
but Jesus does not have choosing in mind here. Like, like either you choose me or you choose your family. That's not the, the, the idea. that he, The essence of what Jesus is saying here is more comparison than it is choosing. In other words, in comparison to your love for your family, your love for me should be significantly greater. Um, it's, it's a little bit difficult to understand in Western Christianity because in the first century, a Jewish person who would take Jesus and receive him and decide to follow him, it would be sort of like living in a Muslim country today or a communist country today where choosing Jesus has significant, dangerous implications for your life. So typically, if somebody chose Jesus in this day, in, first century, in the first century, what it would mean is that the first line of defense that you would receive feedback from would be your home. And so Jesus is saying, if you choose me, you need to understand that you are choosing to love me first more than you love your family. Um, when my wife and I moved to California, we, all of our family lives on the East Coast. And it was a significant decision for us. We never had geographical boundaries in where we would be a pastor or serve in ministry. But, but from moving from the East Coast to the West Coast was significant for us because everybody we know lives on the East Coast. And we have family members that were just honestly not happy about us leaving family and going to the West Coast. We, in fact, we had a family member that told my wife, this, it was an emotional time for us. We said, we believe God said, go to Los Angeles. God said, plant a church. And so we're packing up and we're going to Los Angeles. We had a family member that looked at my wife and she said, you know, you can leave him and get away from this. Jesus says, the first term and condition is that you love me supremely. The first term and condition is that I must have first place. I must have first place in your life. When Jesus calls us not only to, to initiate a relationship with him, the call to discipleship, if you will, that's how we describe what it means to walk with Jesus. The call to discipleship is, is basically a call to allegiance first to Jesus. And Jesus says the first term and condition is that you love me supremely, that I take first place in your life. Now listen to what he says. The language here is absolute. The language is absolute because he says, you cannot be my disciple. If I'm not first. So Jesus works through a few terms and conditions and he's going to tell a story. But what he comes, what it comes down to is that Jesus is essentially asking questions of the people to diagnose where they are. And the same question he asked the large crowds is the same question he asked us. And the first question he says, are you willing to love me first? And just take it out of the first century and place it into the Colony Theater in March 2017. Are you willing to follow Jesus first? Jesus moves on to verse 27. He's about to unveil a second term. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he speaks absolutely again, says, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it's a foreshadowing. We know, obviously, Jesus is teaching, so he hasn't gone to the cross yet. 
But this is a foreshadowing of what was to come in Jesus' life. We know the story, even if we don't attend church often. We know that Jesus went to the cross for us. And so in, in first century Rome, in this environment, the cross was, it was common. It was, it was like we know what the cross symbolized. It was a torture, torturous instrument. It was an instrument of shame. Like people knew when Jesus says, if you don't bear the cross, you can't follow me. They immediately pictured those being crucified for their crimes, for their sins in public view. It was humiliating. It was shameful. It was torturous. So what Jesus has in view here, and all commentators would agree, is that when Jesus says, if you're not willing to bear your cross for me, what, what, what commentators agree is that he has in view this idea of persecution. Like, like, like your allegiance to me, your association with me, has the potential to lead to loss in your life. Now look, we're in Western, we're in Western Christianity, Western America in 2017. We're removed from what's happening here in the first century. And again, it's difficult for us to digest the force of what Jesus is saying because we know Jesus lost his life. We know the story. We know that um, most commentators will agree that the majority of Jesus' disciples also were martyred for their faith. We know concretely of at least Peter and James and Paul were martyred for their faith. We know that John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Um, historical references tell us that very likely the majority of Jesus' disciples were martyred for their faith. We know in Acts chapter 6 and 7 that Stephen was stoned for his faith. We know that historically in AD 64 there was a statewide persecution of all Christians that was initiated by the Emperor Nero. And so here we are in 2017, so far removed from this idea of suffering for being associated with Jesus. It's difficult for us to understand. Like we can watch it on the news. We can see what CNN and, and, and other news channels will show us about Christians who are losing their life or suffering or being persecuted. Two weeks ago, I was in Florida with a missionary from Iraq and Turkey. He was telling, narrating stories about being on one side of the hill and ISIS on the other side, talking about families who had lost their life. But look, we, this is difficult for us to comprehend. But Jesus has a second question for us, and we've got to figure out how to process it. The question is, are you willing to experience loss in order to follow me? Jesus has this idea that because you're associated with me, there is the potential for loss in your life. Not, not necessarily the loss of your life, but the loss of something. So, so it's hard for us to imagine um, persecution in America, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So how do we reconcile that with Western Christianity in America? Well, I have a thought for you, and I believe it's, um, I believe it's probably true with most of Western Christianity in our country. And I would say that it's impossible to suffer. It's impossible to be in, in proximity of suffering for being associated with Jesus if no one knows you're associated with Jesus. Does that make sense? Let me, let me try to read that. Because when I wrote it, I'm like, this is really wordy, but let me try to make sense of it. It's impossible to be in proximity of suffering for being associated with Jesus 
if no one knows you're associated with Jesus. Like in other words, when Jesus says, and he, and he talks over and over, first century Christians would have understood this. They knew their home was in danger. They knew their life was in danger. They knew when they walked back home, having followed Jesus, that, that the first line of, of defense was their family. 2017, how do we reconcile this? I don't know, but I, I fully understand this, that we, in our Western culture, have defaulted to this level of comfortable Christianity. And we like it. And by the way, who does not like it? I mean, I don't, I don't mean to throw a stone. I, I like comfortable Christianity. And by the way, you know who else likes comfortable Christianity? Everybody else who's not a Christian. Because the moment we began to make much of Jesus, those who don't want Jesus don't like it. And what Jesus is getting at He's kind of asserting a question to us. Who in your life really knows you're a Christian? Who in your life really knows that you're a Christian? And look at the absolute statement that Jesus makes. <laughs> if you're not willing to bear your cross and carry it, you cannot be my disciple, the second term. You, 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 you've got to... You've got to be willing to suffer loss for me. Are you willing to put me first, the first two terms and conditions? Now, Jesus picks up the story here, and he begins to tell two stories about how, how to figure out how to assess whether or not you want to follow Jesus. Verse 28, he tells a story about building a tower. Verse 28 says, For which, of, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Verse 29 Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him. Verse 30, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I, I can't remember the last time I built a tower. Um, <clears throat> it's probably a Lego tower with Deacon. Uh, if you know my skill set and my abilities, uh, that's really funny. In fact, we, John Herrett, who's in our church, he was at my house this week doing the most insanely simple task, and it was entirely embarrassing. As I'm on my computer writing a sermon, he's fixing my house. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I'm just so inadequate in this area. Like, like, but I can't remember the last time I built a tower, but, but I, I can remember the time that I assessed whether or not I had the ability to buy a house and then my second house and then a third house. I remember um, assessing whether or not as I sat down with a mentor and we counted the cost as to what it would take to lead a church in Los Angeles that would last more than two years the cost that it would take to, um, that it would exact on our families and everything that would happen there. And it's the same with following Jesus. Like you just don't enter flippantly into this idea that I'm going to follow Jesus as, it's, as if it's some sort of religious exercise without reflection, without assessment as to whether or not you're ready to take on the commitment and sacrifice that Jesus asks. Jesus is not inviting you to an ice cream social. And Jesus is saying in this story, can you assess the cost that it's going to take to follow me? And then he tells another story in verse 31. He says, or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him 
with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So the second story that Jesus tells us to try to assess whether or not we can follow Jesus, the story of a king and battle is about to ensue and he has significantly fewer resources than the other king that he's about to battle against. And he says, what king would just flippantly walk into battle without assessing whether or not this is a viable option because he knows if I enter into this battle and I don't have the ability and I cannot afford the cost of the massive loss of life, then I should never enter into battle in the first place. And so Jesus tells these two stories. The first story is whether or not um, you can assess the cost of following Jesus. The second story that he tells has this idea of whether or not we can afford the commitment that's required to follow Jesus. The record of Scripture tells us that, that, that the closer, the, depth, the, the greater the depth of our relationship with Jesus, the more dangerous our lives have the potential to become. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21 says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Verse 22, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. And we're in 2017, and we're like, I, I, I don't, I don't, what's the parallel? I told the story several weeks ago of a former student of mine who came to Christ in Iran, and his father, um, his father pursued both his mother and his sister and himself, who had all three come to faith in Christ. And his father had pursued them with the threat of death because of their newfound faith in Jesus. A little closer to home, I was a youth pastor for 14 years. One of the most significant challenges to overcome for a student placing their faith in Christ was a student who came from a home that didn't go to church, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And when they would place their faith in Christ, one of the most significant challenges was going back home and allowing their parents to know what had happened. Jesus is saying, if you want a safe, carefree life, and following Jesus is probably not for you. Because the greater your depth of relationship with Jesus, the more we are conformed to Jesus, the more the world will respond to us as they responded to Jesus. You know how the world responded to Jesus. Place him on a cross. The world responded to the early disciples the same way. We're conditioned for this westernized version of Christianity that's comfortable because it's safe. And the world likes us in that position because, and by the way, we like us in that position because we face very little risk. <laughs> the only problem with that is that in that scenario and where we stand in comfortable Christianity, we will know so little of Christ. To become like him in his suffering become like the one who was mocked and beaten and whipped and spat on and nailed to a cross. I don't mean today you go out and you look for danger. <laughs> like that's not the implication of the passage. Today I go out and I act like a moron and get killed in the streets for talking about Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying maybe it's about time that you were in the proximity of at least the potential at least 
for the loss because someone knows that you are associated with me. Really, the question that Jesus is asking here is, do you really want to be like me? Because if we really are, we won't stay the same and life won't be easy. Life could be dangerous. Do you really want to be like Christ? Jesus finishes up the story here in verse 33. And he concludes with a very difficult statement. And he says, so then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all of his own possessions. <laughs> Great. Great. I, I'm decided to make you first, Jesus. I'm kind of hedging my bets on experiencing loss. And now you're asking, am I willing to give up? my attachments. <laughs> well, before we put an extreme measure into what Jesus says, remember that the only person Jesus ever asked to give up everything he owned was the rich young ruler, and he knew that the rich young ruler would never give up what he owned because he knew the things that he had owned him. And so that story is juxtaposed against the story of Zacchaeus, who didn't give up all that he owned. But the question Jesus is asking here is am I willing to give up claim to my attachments? Term number three, are you willing to put me first? Are you willing to experience loss? Are you willing to give up claim to your attachments? Because what Jesus says here, who does not give up all of his own possessions, the emphasis is that I, I basically, I basically um, give up claim to not that you shed yourself of everything you own as if those things are sinful, but you basically look Jesus in the eyes as you're assessing the terms and conditions. And you say, Jesus, you have blessed me with a home. I live in North Hollywood, Jesus. I've got an extra bedroom, Jesus. You didn't just give me an extra bedroom so I could have an extra bedroom and store all of my junk. Gave me an extra bedroom, Bob and Lisa, so that I can house people for the glory of God. You gave me talents and abilities, Jesus. Why? So that I can make a name for myself in Hollywood? No, maybe. But why would you give me talents and abilities if they're not used to advance the mission of God? Are you willing to give up claim to your attachments? Jesus says in verse 34, and then we're done. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? Idea that salt has a purpose. When it loses its purpose, what point is it? Verse 35, it is useless. Either for the soil or for the manure pile. pile. <laughs> it's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Loses its saltiness. Jesus doesn't mean if you're a believer, you lose your salvation. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what scripture teaches. Jesus is now saying to the believer who has entered into a relationship with him, who's even assessed the cost, at some point, the waters of the gospel have receded from the shores of your life. Other things have drowned out your attention. Jesus says at that point, when you lose your saltiness, the modern day equivalent would be when you've run out of gas. 
When you've run out of gas, Jesus says, it's tragedy. It's tragic because something that could be of so much value. Jesus uses a strong word. It's now useless. It's now useless. You have to admire Jesus for being upfront about the terms and conditions of following him. It's more than just religiosity. It's more than just coming to church. It's more than just throwing a dollar bill in the offering plate. It's more than just a cultural form of being associated with Jesus. A deep, abiding relationship with Jesus is first, no matter the cost. Is that you today? Is that you? I don't know what counting the cost means for you. I don't know what may have the potential to derail you from a relationship with Jesus, but I do know this. If you are considering Jesus or you've already entered into a relationship with Jesus, I do hope you're at least asking the question, what does it mean for me to count the cost to put it all on the line for Jesus? True disciples ask that question. And true disciples fail. And true disciples suffer. And true disciples repent. And the love of God covers it. But true disciples ask, what does it mean to count the cost, to put it all on the line for Jesus? I have one prayer that I think all of us should pray when we read a passage like this to move from comfortable Christianity to biblical Christianity, let me offer a prayer that all of us should be asking. God, give us sacrificial obedience in our commitment to you. Sacrificial commitment in our obedience to you. Bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna sing another song, we'll be done. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm gonna pray for us. I don't know what your assessment is in this moment of a relationship with Jesus. I don't know how you come into an auditorium like this. I don't know your why or your how. I wanna say as a pastor at Story City, I'm glad you're here for whatever the reason. And I hope what you find here this morning is not a cultural form of Christianity where something doesn't matter. I hope you find a convictional God, a convictional people that are willing to assess the cost of following Jesus no matter what the cost would be. If you're a believer this morning, I pray that you would pray that prayer. God, give me a sacrificial commitment to obedience, to follow you no matter the cost. And if you came this morning, you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, I'd love to beg you to do so look Jesus in the eyes and say, Jesus, I know who I am. I know that my life has not pleased you because of the sin of my life. I know that you love me. God, I know that you died on the cross for my sin. I know that what you're asking me and entering into a relationship with you is to turn from my sin. The Bible calls it to repent, to walk with you, Jesus, the rest of the days of my life. And I acknowledge this morning that if I confess that before you, the promise that you make to me that you will save me. Not that you can, not that you ought to, not that you might, not that you may be, that you will save me, God, and initiate that relationship with me. 
that's your desire to enter into a relationship with Jesus today, can I just invite you to have an honest, genuine, authentic moment with the Father in your seat right now as we sing. Where you're just honest before God and say, God, that's who I am. And I desire, I'm counting the cost. I know it's not easy, but whatever the cost, I follow you. That's not easy. Can I be honest? Most people will never get to that place. If that's you this morning, would you have an honest conversation with Jesus? Confess your sin before him. Ask him to save you in this moment. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you that you are open, honest, upfront. You're fair and you're just. You don't hide anything from us, God. It's not a bait and switch. You're not a used car salesman. God, you look at us and you say, this, these are the terms and conditions. And I love you regardless, but if you'll follow me, you need to know this. Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that would count that cost. You would give us sacrificial obedience in our commitment to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.